the baby boomers led waves of dramatic culture changes. Their voices raise awareness of consumerism, retirement programs, higher education, health care, and civil rights transformations. Now, the baby boomers have reached an age where it is our turn to give back to them for their voices, their struggles, and their footprint on the society we benefit from today. Boomer Living TV's podcast is dedicated to the support and the enhancement of senior living and the baby boomers' needs and demands. We welcome conversations between caregivers, providers, gerontologists, geriatricians, neurologists, technologists, developers, and operators with one objective, to serve our baby boomers. By bringing together these experts and the baby boomers' families, we can share our knowledge that will educate and inspire others on how to care for the baby boomers. We're a social platform that focuses on the respect and care of this aging population that gave their youth and their wisdom to the society we benefit from today. Today, my guest is Scott Tolan. Scott joined the Open Arms in 2019 as the Dementia Program Director. He has served in the older adult in-home care, assisted living, skilled nursing, case management, and adult protective services. It is his passion to help families and loved ones as they navigate the journey of dementia. Hi, Scott. Very nice to connect with you today. So can you start off by telling a little bit about your journey and how you got started into dementia care and caring for the baby boomers? Absolutely. So my journey is, like a lot of folks, fairly lengthy one into the aging field. But my experience with older adults growing up really made me very interested in working with seniors as an adult. And I actually started out in the marketing research field, got a master's degree in gerontology, and eventually gravitated full-time into work with older adults. My interest has always been, and personal passion has always been, working with individuals with dementia specifically. And I've had the opportunity now to do that on several fronts. I've run several different dementia residences or floors and have worked with various other dementia clients over the years. And my current role is as the memory care program director at Open Arms Solutions Home Care which is based in Northbrook, Illinois, just outside of Chicago. That's great. So let's look at Dementia 2020 and beyond. What is your take on the current state of affairs as far as dementia research and program development is concerned? So there are numerous studies still being conducted right now in the area of dementia. A lot of the research historically has been based around some kind of set concepts, things like plaques and tangles in people's brains as a cause of Alzheimer's. A lot of money has been put into that research, and unfortunately, over a number of years, there has not been significant progress made in addressing dementia. So a lot of the research focus now is taken off of that and is being placed other areas, such as the role of diet, for example, as a preventative measure and other aspects of people's lifestyles that can kind of be singled out, if you will, and pinpointed to provide early detection of possible memory impairment. Yeah. Lifestyle is huge. 
we're talking in terms of slowing down, deferring dementia as long as possible. Lifestyle is the biggest contributing factor, and it consists of many components. Your food choices, exercise, reduce your stress. Absolutely. Um, Keeping things like not smoking, keeping alcohol consumption if you drink into fairly moderate levels. So all of those factors definitely play into it. Absolutely. And social engagement. Yeah, more and more there's a recognition that social engagement does play a significant role. People who tend to have even just a few closer contacts with whom they communicate on a regular basis is much better than someone who is more isolated and basically to him or herself. Yeah. I wholeheartedly believe that we are humans and we need not only the technology interaction, but very much we need that face-to-face physical contact, you know, that nowadays we're very limited to. That's particularly relevant right now with COVID because in the general public, we're already being physically distanced or isolated. And then you add dementia on top of that, particularly people in long-term care or memory impairment communities. And that becomes, as we've seen in various reports, a huge problem. Yeah. And as the world reopens, folks in nursing home will slowly ease into the reopening with much caution. For the rest of the world, as you and I were easing into socialization, but for the elderly, it's going to be a much longer process. Yeah. That's definitely what we're finding in terms of working with our long-term care communities on the home care side is that we have no sense of when our personnel, I mean, we do have caregivers that go into those buildings, but aside from that, when our other personnel will be able to go in is anybody's guess at this point. Right. You know, we touched a little bit on the impact of COVID that we'll have on dementia. So what do you see as possible future impact of coronavirus as it relates to dementia? Yeah, that's a very, very good question. I think the overall concern, and I've been talking with some of my colleagues and dementia professionals about this, I think the overall concern, as always in long-term care communities, is infection control. And I think, quite frankly, having worked in that side and in those communities before, I think that a number of communities were really understandably caught completely off guard, even though they do their best to provide that protection on an ongoing basis. I think with COVID, they were just taken completely off guard. And then you magnify the problem with the PPE shortages and things like that. So going forward long-termly, I suspect that there will be a lot more focus through our governmental regulatory agencies that oversee the long-term care industry, that they will likely place a lot more focus on infection control going forward. And, you know, it's very difficult from the consideration of people with dementia because if they're living together, they don't necessarily understand the implications of COVID and most likely don't. And so to keep them isolated somehow or away from each other, I think is going to be highly impractical. So we've got to find a means for, through infection control or otherwise, through just making sure they're as safe as we possibly can. I agree. Depending on what stage of dementia your loved one is in, it can be very difficult to get them to eat, let alone understand the concept of COVID. Yeah, let me add, I mean, I have tremendous respect for my colleagues, professionals out in the field who are working in those long-term care communities. 
because I really do believe that they were not receiving the attention and the focus that they should have. And that's not to take anything away from the hospital personnel. But I am one of those people who believe that kind of the underappreciated people, at least initially, were those in those long-term care communities. And so the work that they do and will continue to do is, is of utmost importance to all of us, really. Absolutely. Hats off to them. It's a shame because I think the industry faces three key challenges, one of which is to keep the residents and the staff safe from COVID. And the second is the financial stability when they have to pay exorbitant prices to get the PPEs and the testing equipment. Some of them are marked up to 100% or more, and the PPE were not as available to senior living as they were to hospitals. So it's more difficult to move in new residents, which certainly will hurt the revenues. And then, of course, the negative press surrounding the long-term care facilities. People who've had a bad experience at a skilled nursing, and they use that experience and extrapolate that to be all of the care and housing for the rest of the industry. So the press lumps everything under senior housing into one category. I think it's important that folks within the industry speak to each other, but I think it's even more important that we educate folks outside the industry. I, too, think you were asking me about what the future holds. I've been talking to colleagues about, I think that a lot of research needs to be done after we hopefully stabilize the situation about why certain communities had such high death rates relative to other communities that were able to contain COVID. So I think we'll learn a lot if we can get some really good quality studies looking at the differentials between various communities and why rates varied so tremendously. Very true. I think we need to think about the variation in the test results, faulty of the tests, and then, of course, the availability, because there are so many moving parts that you can't really pinpoint or measure. And that's why I believe the number of deaths should not be the only metric in measuring how well the senior living communities respond to the pandemic. And that's going to make those studies, presumably when they come along, going to be very complicated to isolate those various factors. But I really think we're going to need to pick this apart, so to speak, and figure out going forward if we, I say if, (laughs) hopefully it's if we ever have a situation in our lifetimes like this again, we can be better prepared for dealing with it. Very true. Again, I just don't believe in measuring success by the number of deaths. You hear that often. I believe it's like 40% plus of deaths were linked to nursing homes. Yeah. Yeah. It was about 40 plus percent. But my point is, I wholeheartedly believe that death should not be the only metric in assessing how well the community responded to the pandemic. You could have two communities in the same region following all the CDC guidelines and doing their very best to care for the residents. The one that follows the guideline the strongest could have more deaths, and the ones that didn't have enough PPEs could somehow have less deaths. Yes, and another factor that, of course, we have to take into account is the sickness of the individuals in those communities prior to COVID. So one community may have a relatively low situation where other people have other chronic issues, and another community may have people that were very much nearing the end of life anyway. So how do you factor that into those totals? I think there are more that were 
COVID impacted as opposed to COVID caused. Many of them, like you say, already have some underlying health issues. Compounding that with COVID is obviously not a good thing. It's going to be an interesting study. So with regard to the role of home care in dementia, what is your take? What are some of the changes underway in home care services and for those with dementia? Yeah, I appreciate you asking that. So I do think that the home care agencies as a rule will see a significant uptick in client business. Having said that, if I can sort of do a brief commercial here, if you will, for what we are doing at Open Arms, we are actually starting a specialized dementia-based program for our clients called Embrace. And we're going to be starting that in about the next month. And that really focuses on the individual as what we refer to as sort of the whole person. A lot of home care work historically has been very task-based, if you will. In other words, home care person is in the home to provide help with those activities of daily living that we think about, bathing, grooming, dressing, and making sure those get done, which are very important. But what we really have recognized is that that's not looking at the person, as I said earlier, as a whole person. So we want to focus on other aspects of that person's life, such as the engagements or activities that he or she may have been involved with over time, and really continue to keep them as purpose-driven, if you will, in their life as possible. So we're very excited about this. And I think other home care agencies, especially with the increasing levels of dementia we see, will likely sort of take that mantle up as well. I see. So what services come with the home care agency? Is it 24-7 care? Yeah, our agency is focused on a wide variety of care. We right now, honestly, because of COVID, are limiting our minimum hours to eight hours per day. But in the past, prior to COVID, we would even be able to provide services at two and four hour increments. Whether we'll be able to get back to that, I don't know. But oftentimes we have, like I say, eight hour a day shifts, sometimes 12 hour a day shifts, or in some cases we provide live-in services as well. So it really runs the gamut based on what the needs are. Right. And how is it covered in terms of Medicaid and Medicare? Yeah, unfortunately, private home care services typically are not covered by Medicaid or Medicare. I will tell you, having worked in a previous program, that there are what are referred to as Medicaid waiver programs in the various states that do provide home care services if the person qualifies. But typically, people, if they need home care services, are paying for it out of pocket. Right. Okay. So let's talk about the techniques used while working with those with dementia in terms of communicating and relating to them. How are your associates engaging with the residents in your home? Yeah, good question. So one of the things that I'm doing right now to prepare for our new Embrace program is training caregivers specifically in the area of dementia. And as you say, communication is a big part of that. There are a couple techniques which actually individuals can use as well that we are practicing or using right now. One of those is called the technique of validation, which is basically an opportunity to 
provide reassurance and reaffirmation to people with dementia. So let me give you an example. One situation that someone with dementia may express is the need to, for example, see their mother. And we recognize that most likely that person's mother has been gone for some time. So they may use a repetitive behavior like, I want to see my mother, I want to see my mother, I want to see my mother. Now, in the traditional training, people or caregivers specifically were taught you can try and basically change the subject or you can essentially tell what's called a therapeutic lie to the person and say, oh, well, your mom will be here in a little bit. She'll be here in a little bit. And the problem with that is even someone in somewhat more advanced stages of dementia ultimately may realize that that's not the case. They may come to the realization that their mother no longer exists. And what that does is it breaks that trust relationship between, for example, the caregiver and the person with dementia. So validation is really a better way of addressing that. So if the person says, I want to see my mother, I want to see my mother, I want to see my mother, you paraphrase and you say, yes, I'm sure you do want to see your mother. And then you use the word and and say something along the lines of, and why don't you tell me about your mother? What is most important to you about her? So the idea is that you're continuing the conversation, you're not lying to the person, and you're allowing an opportunity to kind of redirect them in a positive way. So that's one example of a communication technique that not just caregivers, but others can use as well. I agree. I think too often, we don't know how we should respond, and it's just easier to come up with something, to fabricate something. But ultimately, you're somewhat lying because they might not be aware that it's a lie. I think what's most important is that you give them affirmation and validation. So it would be like, hey, you know what? I'm sure that you want to see that person. Yes, but what is it about the person that you miss? What is it that you want to do with that person when you see them? So what you're doing is you roll along with the story. And I think that's really important. As a family, there's 10 of us and we all had to learn how to communicate with my mom. It was a very painful process. Ultimately, we learned that we should never correct my mom and that we had to roll with her stories and encourage her to speak further. You got to be in the moment, just enjoy her because often there is no logic, rhyme, or reason. It just is. And you have to accept that. That's correct. And that's a great story. So I just want to add one other technique too that I think your audience here will appreciate. One of the other techniques that's been popularized now, if you will, in the dementia field over maybe the last five to 10 years is actually pulling in some techniques from improv theater or improv comedy troops. Like here in Chicago, we have Second City, which is nationally known, I think. And we're finding that caregivers who understand those concepts of improv really, really work much better with individuals with dementia. So the idea is that you basically go with whatever the person says. There are several rules behind that, but essentially you are continuing to add to the conversation, but just essentially going with whatever that person says. So if they say something that is wildly off the mark, you act as though, and you communicate as though you understand completely and you continue down that line until 
it's no longer productive, and then you go down another line. Exactly. You just continue. You let their imagination go as far as they want. They need help in many regards. In their world, it's very limited. And if there's anything that allows them to go as far as they can, it's their imagination. Although it might be disoriented at times, but you just have to let it go and just allow them to imagine. Like I said, I have my own story and my own journey. Having 10 people in our family, the dynamic sometimes will add to the problem. But I think overall, as a family, you go through a process. You don't know how to respond. You're in denial. And then you go through all the wrong ways to go about it. And then you realize you end up crying and crying and you just accept it. Everyone in the family now has to see your loved one, whether it's mom or dad, where they are and be in the moment. And I really think that's key. Be present and just appreciate that they're still here. That is an excellent way to put it. Meet people where they're at, for sure. So let's shift gear a little bit. So let's talk about awareness of elderly abuse and neglect, especially for those with dementia. So can you give us some examples on how to detect that? Yeah. So prior to my work at Open Arms as their memory care program director, I had an opportunity to work for an agency here in the Chicagoland area that handles abuse and neglect cases. And so I saw firsthand with older adults what they go through in those abuse type situations. And specifically those with dementia who are exposed to elder abuse. With elder abuse, I think of it almost like, and dementia, almost like two cars headed for a head-on collision. So you've got a situation where seniors with dementia living alone, which is anywhere from, I believe, like a quarter to a third of people with dementia nationally live alone. And then you've got this other car headed toward dementia. So you've really got a car wreck, major car wreck, if you can picture that there, where those two are colliding and they are just ripe for victimization from a variety of different sources. You know, the irony is, however, that most abusers are actually people that the individual knows. So I think in almost maybe up to 60% of elder abuse and neglect incidents, the perpetrator is a family member. And I think if I've got my figures right here, roughly two-thirds of perpetrators are adult children or spouses. Even though you think of that mythology of a lot of the elder abuse scams, which do occur coming from telephone scammers or salespeople who the person doesn't know, the reality is, unfortunately, that most of that abuse occurs among people the individual does know. And so that's why people with dementia are especially vulnerable to abuse and neglect. And that can get very tricky. When does it become necessary for them to go into a community where they're cared for by a licensed professional and better monitored? So all those are key components. No one can really make that decision other than the family members themselves. For my own mom, she stayed at home, at my sister's home, as long as she possibly could and we're all believers that you need to be in your own home as long as they are well cared for and provided and safe. But there comes a time when it is unsafe. The doors are not always locked. And if you were in a community, you know, they have gates. The doors at home should be locked, but sometimes they still can unlock it. So there are some safety reasons where home might not be the safest anymore. 
It is a very tough one. And that's oftentimes where it really helps to have professionals intervene, whether that's a private pay care manager, geriatric care manager, or even a home care agency coming in, or in the case of someone who is suspected of being abused, even someone in the role that I played as an elder abuse worker who comes in and can help make an assessment about whether that person's situation is safe at this point or not. And one of the roles that I played was to kind of assess that person's situation and determine other alternatives, such as long-term care or other services that could be put in place that would make this person in a safer situation. Right. So before we wrap this up, do you have any last comments to the audience? I guess I would just say, since we're on the topic of elder abuse here, that I would encourage people who suspect cases of elder abuse and neglect, either of a loved one or a friend, to search out information on the internet about their particular state. And there usually is a number that you can call and make a report if you feel that's necessary. A lot of times, if you feel strongly enough, you can make the report anonymously. So your name never has to be attached to the report don't worry about, well, is it really a case of abuse or not? Let the investigator who handles that case figure that out. So when in doubt, make a report. That is just the advice I would give to anybody out there, because that'll help protect our seniors who are most at risk. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate you taking the time to share your wealth of knowledge. Thank you Um, for the opportunity. Yes. I think it's important to raise awareness of dementia Seriously, people don't think about it until they have to face it. And when they do, they spend a whole lot of time learning, maybe denying, and then it can be a very heart-wrenching process. So I think the sooner that you learn about it and have a brain-healthy lifestyle and encourage your loved ones to do the same, but what I'm seeing is people do live longer and dementia is becoming more common. Well, thank you so much, Scott, and I look forward to talking to you again. Thank you so much for joining us this week on Boomer Living TV's podcast. Make sure to visit our website, boomerliving.tv, where you can subscribe to the show in iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and other platforms. This way, you'll never miss a show. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, we would really appreciate a rating in iTunes or simply tell a friend about the show. That would help us tremendously. Be sure to tune in weekly for our next episode. And remember, growing old is the purest and the most positive experience of human existence.